Welcome to the One America podcast. Today is August the 18th, 2020. This is your host, Sophia Nelson, and welcome to a special episode of the One America podcast. Today is the 100th anniversary of the 19th Amendment. Breaking news, the President of the United States of America, Donald John Trump, has posthumously pardoned Susan B. Anthony, who, if you know your history, was convicted in 1872 of illegally voting. And of course, she died before the 19th Amendment uh, became law, uh, which is sad as she was such a proponent of the 19th Amendment and the women's right to vote. She, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, and many others. But today, uh, as we reflect back on 100 years of women voting in a nation that has been formed for 244 years, that should tell us a lot about our beginnings. You know, if you watched Michelle Obama's fantastic speech last night um, during the Democrat National Convention, I think you heard a number of things. Her critique of President Trump aside, we're going to set that on the shelf for a moment because that's not relevant to what I want to talk about today. But you saw her talk about a number of things that really play into this historic day. Um, And I want to uh, tackle a few of them. First and foremost, I want to say congratulations to all the women throughout history, uh, many of whom are obviously no longer with us. But starting with Abigail Adams telling her husband as he rode off to the Constitutional Convention Uh, Don't forget the ladies. Remember the ladies. However it is that she was quoted, you hear many versions of that. But her point to her husband was, is that women are Americans too. Women have helped in every effort to build this country, as have men. And she was reminding him that ladies had rights and that ladies should be given the vote and that ladies should be given voice. Of course, I'm sure he smiled at her and gave her a kiss on the cheek and said, right, dear, and went on about his business. But it's important to go back to that room in Philadelphia in 1776 as America was declaring her independence and Thomas Jefferson was writing the words that will live forever. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men stop there because he meant what he said. All men are created equal, but he really didn't mean all men because he really meant white men. And it's there that we need to start. It's there that we need to put into context what Michelle Obama was saying last night. It's there that we need to put into context where we find ourselves in this moment in history as Americans, as citizens of the world, where people of color are rising, where women are rising, and where white men led by men like Donald Trump and others are angry, they're aggrieved, they're fighting back, they're menacing, they're threatening. Look, I guess if I were a white male and I looked at it from their perspective, where they've always had everything, where they've always been at the top of the food chain, where they've always had the power, always the decision-making authority, even over women's bodies, even over women's lives. If I had that kind of power, I suspect I wouldn't want to give it up either. And I'm just being honest with you. Um, And so I get it. And so there's a lot of fear. And so there's a lot of friction and there's a lot of anger. Listen, on this 100th anniversary, let us be clear that the women's movement, the suffragette movement also had racial challenges. There's this thing called intersectionality that we as women talk about, mostly academic women, but we talk about it. 
And I was the keynote speaker uh, last year at Christopher Newport University's Global Women's Conference. And my topic was to talk about intersectionality. I try to do it in a little bit of a different way, but intersectionality simply means the, the intersection of race and gender. And it is the discussion of how whenever we think of women, we think white. When we think of black, we think men. Therein lies the challenge for the strong black educated woman or black working woman or black laborer or brown domestic or brown uh, migrant worker. We have the burdens of both race and gender, but we get neither of the benefits of being a man if we're black men or being white if we're white women. And it's worth talking about as we reflect on this moment and we reflect on where we are here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, I'm proud to be a Virginian. I've been a Virginian now more than half of my life and lived here more than half of my life, much more than half of my life, actually. And we are an interesting state. We have a female Speaker of the House. Uh, we have a female majority leader. We've got a number of women on the Democrat side running for governor. I think there might be a woman running on the Republican side, too. Uh, it's fascinating to see how much change has happened just since Donald Trump took office. Donald Trump awakened the sleepiness in women, the, the maybe the quiet, silent protests. And women woke up in 2017. Uh, they were angry. They were shocked. And they began to run for office and run for office rather all over this country and win and win in big numbers, uh, mostly on the Democrat Party. The Republican Party has a huge gender gap. It has a huge female problem. It has a huge hole, a bench of Republican women leaders. You've got Lynn Cheney in the House. Uh, you've got a couple women in the Senate uh, that are on the leadership team. I think Joni Ernst is one. She's an endangered species. She might lose in Iowa. And if you look at where the country's moving, it's moving in the direction of women and women leaders. Now, of course, we all know that Kamala Harris was chosen as Joe Biden's running mate and will um, represent for the third time a woman on the national ticket, the first time for a woman of color. And as they say, the third time is a charm. I'll be interested to see how this turns out. I'm going to work hard for the Biden-Harris ticket. Yes, this lifelong Republican is going to work hard for the Democrat ticket. Donate money, have done that, we'll do more. And I'm doing that because, as you saw, Governor Kasich, Governor Whitman, former Congresswoman Susan Molinari, uh, Meg Whitman, uh, you know, big corporate CEO, Republican, and many others who spoke last night at the Democratic National Convention. Hold that now. Republicans speaking for Joe Biden at the Democrat National Convention tells you a lot about the kind of man he is. And it tells you that he has respect on the other side of the aisle. It tells you that he's not some wacky, crazy liberal that you need to be afraid of with his crazy black female vice president who's going to smother him when he takes the oath of office so that she can take over. That's not it at all. We're supporting Joe Biden because we can't abide Donald Trump. We can't abide the destruction of our great republic and our democracy. Just today, there is a Senate report out that every one of you needs to read. A Senate report endorsed by Republicans that says that Donald Trump and his team colluded with Russia. They worked with Russia. They passed information to Russia. 
And this should be treason, and it should be something that at the very least he's removed immediately and physically from the White House. But of course, we won't do that because that's not the way our Constitution is set up. They impeached him. They could not remove him. So we're stuck with him until we can vote him out. So I wanted to just hop on today and talk a little bit about the 19th Amendment, talk a little bit about the women's movement, and simply just say a few things. One, without the sweat and the toil and the sacrifice of others, whether it's gender or race, uh, people like me, President Obama, Mrs. Obama, Oprah, Colin Powell, and I could go on and on and on, would not be where we are. We are where we are because people had the courage to stand up to challenge the status quo. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, this country for 144 years had all white, all male, everything. Women could not vote. The problem with the 19th Amendment and the problem with what Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton and others did in the movement, the suffragist movement, they they intentionally sold out black women. Black women in the South who were not given the right to vote by the 15th Amendment when black men were granted the right to vote, when it says black people got the right to vote with the 15th Amendment, it's not true. It was black men. So black women were left out. It goes back to that point I made about the burdens of both and the benefits of neither. We are women for sure, but when women got the right to vote, it was white middle-class women, upper-class women like those that went to Seneca Falls and other places, just like what we saw even with the vice presidential tickets in 1984 and 2008, because what it showed was that um, white women really represent women. And so it's time for women of color to take our place at the table. Uh, We have uh, a couple women of color candidates running here in Virginia for uh, the governorship uh, next year. And again, like I said, it's going to be interesting. We've never had a black female governor We even have Latina governors in New Mexico. We've had two. uh, We've got one black woman in the United States Senate. And um, we have a long way to go. We've made strides, but we have a long way to go. And so I am uh, on this day mindful of the struggle for women, but more the struggle for women of color, of which I am one. And so I wanted to just stop by and and just talk about this for a few moments. I'm not going to be long. I would be remiss if I didn't get on and talk about uh, today's historic nature and what it means that for 100 years, women have been able to participate in this democracy. Women of color, probably more like 50 years have been able to participate because even though theoretically women had the right to vote, as I said, if you lived in the Jim Crow South, you weren't voting much. Uh, And if you were a woman of color, Uh, it was a lot more challenging than it was even for men of color because, again, they were still men. What does this all mean, though, Sophia, in uh, the year 2020 in the 21st century? What it simply means is that women now have taken our place. And this ticket that Joe Biden has put together, I think it deserves a lot of credit. As I said before, I think it was heroic. And I think it was heroic because... He could have taken the easy path. He could have picked someone like Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan who helps him on the electoral map. She's a young, white, attractive woman, uh, got all the right boxes checked. But instead, he chose the senator from California, uh, a black woman who also is of South Asian ancestry from India. Her mother was from India, her father from Jamaica. Of course, Jamaicans are of African descent. I have to keep reminding people of this. Slaves were taken 
uh, from Africa to the islands, to the West Indies, as well as to the Americas and to Europe. So we need to keep that on context. But I think it's very important that uh, we understand that this is a historic moment. And I think it's fitting that the 100th year anniversary in 2020 is when we have our first shot of really, I think, having our first female vice president and four years from now, a woman being taken seriously, as was Hillary Clinton, no doubt. But I think we may be ready then to elect a woman president. I'm excited that in my lifetime, I've seen the first black president and that I hope to live to see the first female vice president and then again, the first woman president. So it is a historic day. We need to put it into context, though. We need to remember that for women of color, uh, this was not a day that was a victory for them, that our white sisters sold us down the river, as they have done many times on the issue of race. Don't get it twisted. Don't think that it's just white men who practice racism in this country. That's not true. Just go back and look at some of the footage from the 1960s and the 50s and the uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, and other places where black students were trying to integrate and look at the white, young white women marching with signs and cursing and yelling epithets at these young students and even little girls like Ruby Bridges and others. Uh, pretty ugly stuff. And race is ugly. And sexism is ugly. Misogyny is ugly. And we have in office right now the most misogynistic, uh, sexist, racist president probably ever to hold that office. He's just open with it. We're in the 21st century uh, there were probably a lot of other bigots and sexes too, but we didn't have social media 200 years ago. We didn't have a television 200 years ago, 100 years ago. It didn't exist. So now we can shine a spotlight on these things pretty quickly and see them and call them out. So I feel good today. We're making progress. Uh, we're doing great things, but we still have a long way to go. But if we can bond together as sisters across race and across gender, and if we can work together to um, lift each other as we climb as women, I think that's one of the great hurdles on this 100th anniversary that we have is that we still have not found a way as women to support each other. Uh, some of the ugliest, nastiest things I've heard said about Kamala Harris uh, have come from women and women sniping at her. Uh, you know, this notion that she was having an affair with a married man is simply not true. First of all, she was a single woman in her 20s or maybe her early 30s. Uh, Willie Brown was a man who was separated from his wife for a decade before they even met. Um, I believe they're still estranged to this very day. Doesn't make it right. Legally speaking, yeah, you're still married if you're married, but if you're legally separated, most people know that you're gonna date. And uh, so to call her uh, all the awful names, Rush Limbaugh calling her a quote, hoe, is disgusting. And again, I'm wondering why is it that in the presidential primary last year, and as we talked about the primaries, why is it that Kamala Harris is the only female candidate, not Elizabeth Warren, Warren not Amy Klobuchar, uh, and by the way, uh, Harris is married, not Tulsi Gabbard. None of them had their sexual past brought up or questioned. None of them. Why is it that the black female candidate has got to be, quote, a hoe? You see what I mean? Stereotypes aren't funny when they follow you everywhere. Stereotypes do not die easy. They live long and hard and they're ugly and they're pernicious and they're pervasive. That's one of the things we have to work on. How we talk about each other as women, how we deal with each other as women, 
how we support each other's women. No, you don't have to support a woman just because she's a woman. If you think she's a bad candidate, you don't have to support her. Of course not. But you don't have to talk bad about her. You don't have to run her down. You don't have to play that game. Let's bond together in this 100 years. Let's learn. Let's do better. Let's go forward. And let's remember our history as it happened. Not in some revisionist kumbaya, we all got a long way. Because that just ain't true. And the more that we can do, as First Lady Michelle Obama said last night, the more that we can tell the truth, the hard truth, and the more that we can just call a thing a thing and let it be, it is what it is, that's when America's going to heal. That's when America's going to be better. And that's when America's going to go forward. God bless you. God keep you. God bless the United States of America.